To the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 229. My name is Brando, and I got to give the date because uh, you know, while this is a pre-recorded podcast, I being from live radio, I like to make it feel as live as possible, so I always let you know when I'm recording it, and I may even release this today. We'll see. So it's November, uh, it's November 2nd, uh, 2020, so and I, I feel important to, to name the date. The give the date is because this may be the last episode as the world may end tomorrow. We're going to see, you know, if I'm still here, if not, uh, if, the, if our country is still here, or I should say the, the U.S., uh, it's, it's been nice knowing you. Thanks for, thanks for hanging out for another edition of this uh, Appetite for Distortion bro- broadcast. And I have a cat already like, petting me, or I'm petting the cat, rather. I posted these the other day. It's a nice little segue, Eric. Um, and I should have asked you before we started recording, how do I correctly pronounce your, your last name? Minyer. 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 Where is that? What's the ethnicity of that? So it's a French last name, actually. In, in French, it's pronounced Minier. I say um, it like that? Minier? Sure. I like but that. But it's been Americanized to Minyer. <laughs> yeah, like three generations ago, it was Minier. And that so, is a very common name in France. And Canada, it is the French equivalent of Miller. Okay. A, a Meunier is someone who works in a mill. Okay. See, I, I'm now I'm learning the side of you I didn't think I would learn. Ancestry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love, and this is like it all in my way of just like a nice, beautiful segue with everything. As one of my cats runs off finally and letting me do the, the podcast, I posted pictures the other day for National Cat Day. Them all posed with either my, my brand new Appetite for Distortion podcast t-shirt on Redbubble or different GNR swag and things like that. So it's if you're watching on Zoom, you got a nice little cameo from uh, my cat pig, I would ask. Uh, but if, especially if you're watching on Zoom, you get to see my guest today, Eric Minier. I'm sorry. I guess That's I love me. it. Uh, and if you're looking at Eric, you know who he is right away because right behind him, is the Guns N' Roses not in this lifetime pinball machine? And I, I said this before, even you guys, or I should say, you guys, I've been talking to uh, Ken over there and yourself. Um, I, it's that I, I said on social media, this is a really cool game. And I always said, if I, I've been saying this for years, if I had the means, that's another story, because I'm in radio, I'm not Joe Rogan, I'm not, you know, Howard. I want to get several arcade games. Now, not in this lifetime, pinball is on the list, but I, I want WrestleFest. I, I want to get uh, the Simpsons game, Turtles in Time. That's like something I, that's, I think, my goal in life. Uh, is, so you're one of the co-designers, and that's why I reached out to you guys. I'm like, I got to find out more about this game because it seems so intricate and just putting it together. It seems like a more than a regular pinball uh, game. So I just wanted to, you know, I thank you for your time, first of all. Hey, welcome. Man. Before I. Thank you continue on my tangent. Okay. I, 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 so where are you? I guess let's start here. Where are you located currently? 
as well. We are in Chicago, Illinois, pinball capital of the world. See, are you, do you say that, or is it really the, the pinball capital? It's really the pinball capital of the world. I mean, out of all the pinball machines that have ever been made in the world, 90% of them have come out of Chicago, Illinois. That's amazing. So, like, and see, in the heyday, like Bally and Williams and Gottlieb and Premier and all of the big name pinball companies were within five miles of where I'm located right now. Wow. See, this just goes to show you that the fate is just making me do uh, segues into our conversation. Like I, I, I planned it yeah. uh, in a couple of weeks, actually, I think next, no, the end of the, uh, it's, I think it's the, yeah, the, the week of Thanksgiving, I'm making my first trip to Chicago. Right I've never been before, but yeah. that's where my girlfriend's from. We're going to visit her, her family. So mm-hmm. I normally would be more excited because it's something would I, I like to go to bars because I'm in Queens right now, uh, sure. Queens, New York. Especially around here, where there's a lot of hipsters, I guess. There's a lot of cool bars that have video games and pinball machines, and that's oh, yeah. where I would. I think the last thing I went to before COVID was actually a Dave and Buster's, you know, playing these games. Yeah. So as you're in Chicago, I, I see you before we sat down. You you had your mask on, so you're around people. You're working. Mm-hmm. Yep. How how has it been for you? Uh, how so? That's why I'm I'm happy to see Jersey Jack Pinball, you know, doing well despite all this. Yeah, so 2020's been rough. I mean, for the entire world. Um, but our company made some pretty big strides this year. Uh, one of the big things we did is in early March we decided to move our entire factory, our manufacturing facility, from Lakewood, Illinois, to Chicago. Um, engineering and design uh, has always been here in Chicago. This is where the talent is that designs pinball machines, that does the programming, that does the artwork, does the animations. Um, this is where that talent pool has been for the last 80 years. And our manufacturing is now here with us so that I can go out on the line every day and look at my game going down the line and, and helping the factory workers, um, you know, tweak or adjust or make sure they do things exactly the way that uh, it was designed to be done. So 2020 gave us the downtime that was needed due to COVID to transition and move our entire factory out here. Um, And Guns N' Roses is the first game that's being mass produced out of our new factory. Oh, wow. So there's a lot to unpack there. And I guess while we're still on this train of thought, because as you may, may be able to tell, I lose it quite easily. Is it because factories are so big? Because it would, it would seem to make sense, like the factory would be next to the designer somewhere, unless you were so easy before maybe to communicate, you know, whether it's remoting into someone's computer or, you know, FaceTime and all that. How come the it was in two different places before? Is that normal? Is that typical for a uh, um, Generally not. I don't think okay. it would. I can't think of another company that did it that way. Um, but our founder lived in New Jersey. And he was working on pinball machines out there. He's been in the industry for 40 plus years. Um, his name is Jack Bonary. And he started the company and created jobs out in uh, Lakewood to manufacture and assemble these games. So okay. that was in 2011 is when he started the company. Okay. Wow. Cause, uh, it's just, so how far back do you go? How did you get into this line of, of work and designing pinball? Is it, that's a level I always, I just thought that it's a level of, of talent of knowledge that I can't even begin to comprehend. You know, the, the people as, as simple as going back so many years to just Pac-Man and that mm-hmm. level of it. 
and you can just go to video games in addition to just the arcade game. It's just like how intricate. I don't understand that. So how did you first get into uh, this line of work? So I was introduced to arcade games uh, from birth, actually. My parents owned a, an arcade company in the Wisconsin Dells, the water park capital of the world, um, where we had over 100 different arcades, and I never had a babysitter. Wow. I was always with my parents, um, and since the age of seven, I've been working on games. I've been fixing games. I've been soldering boards and electronics and repairing that sort of stuff. Of that kind that comes naturally to me. I always fix stuff, take it apart. You know, I built my first computer uh, when I was 12 out of spare arcade game parts. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just from, from stuff we had laying around. And, you know, I took some out of this game, some out of that game, and, and got a computer. That was, that was pretty good. Brilliant. Um, I decided that I never wanted to be part of the gaming industry ever again because that, that's what will happen if you work for your parents for, you know, 15 years. Um, so I went to school and I got a degree in electrical engineering and I was planning on going into robotic prosthesis and I got my master's degree in robotics, uh, from university of Wisconsin, Madison. And then I was at a pinball show, um, which happened pre COVID all over the country, all over the world. Many times a year, you'd get thousands and thousands of people who would come to conventions um, to play pinball. You pay one fee and games are all there on free play and there's swag booths and there's tournaments and there's all this cool stuff um, that surrounds the pinball culture. And I was at one of those shows with my family, uh, with my dad and my brother. And this guy, Jack Quinary, uh, talked about how he is starting a new company and bringing pinball back and getting back into what made pinball great. Because um, there wasn't a lot of innovation happening at that time. The only company that was remaining um, wasn't putting out a lot of innovative products, and Jack wanted to change that. So he said he's starting this company, and he's looking for good people. And I was in my final semester of my master's. I was finishing my thesis, um, and I just thought, I know this industry. I'll give him my resume. And, uh, and I did, and I talked to him. He's like, you're extremely overqualified for any position that we have here. But, uh, you know, if you want to come on board, we'll make it we'll make it work. So I was brought in um, and brought in to be the electrical engineer for the company. The only one. Uh, no one else to mentor from or anything like that. So that's fun when you're mm. 20, 22 years old. Um, the entire company depends on you not screwing things up. <laughs> um, did the electronics for uh, the first three games uh, from Jersey Jack, which was The Wizard of Oz. The Hobbit, and then an original title called Dialed In, made by Pat Lawler, who's one of the most renowned game designers uh, of pinball. Um, he's got to get Adam's Family and just a bunch of other just smash, okay. smash hit pinball machines. Um, the fourth game that Jersey Jack did was my first game as lead design, and that was Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. And since then, I've been a game designer. And then my next game was uh, what you see behind me here. I'm in awe, honestly. I keep looking back at my side of the camera and my mouth is kind of like a gape and just like, okay, <laughs> wait a minute, that level of, of intelligence and, and I mean, I'm sure it's a double-edged sword because it seems like, you know, you're, you're a kid surrounded by games that's living the life, but you're, I, I understand it's very re like relatable to work for your parents and 
I'm sure a lot of people can understand that. And it doesn't matter what it is that has right. its own, uh, you know, set of stress. Uh, just, just fascinating. So that's, you said a word that I feel, I was like, what am I going to use for this guy? Overqualified. So it seems like you're overqualified. But then again, to, to make this, to make a Guns N' Roses pinball machine. But it's not, again, it's, it's not just, uh, you were talking about the innovation. You know, where I've gone, I, I forget the name of the, uh, the Queen's Bar around here that had, I think it was the Ghostbusters pinball, had the Adams Family pinball. They're fun, but they don't seem as interactive. And especially, and I was watching the, an interview with Slash, it's like you're at a lot, not in this lifetime concert when yeah. you're there. Yeah. Because there, there's, it's actual music. So I guess to, to kind of start going into that, because I'm geeking out too much, we can start just, you know, you have your own pinball podcast and we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk, keep talking about geek stuff as we go along. But how did this come about? How did, cause it's, it's hard for <laughs> we GNR fans, like, we, we like anything new and innovative and it's yeah. when GNR does it, it's great, but yeah. it's, it's few and far in between when they come out with something this, uh, this huge. Sure. So how, what were the, what, who reached out to who, who was the one that had the, uh, the lightning bulb? And if I could preface it with, I know slash is a huge pinball nut that he has a lot in his house mm-hmm. and I'll say, and I forget the guy's name, like slash has his own personal pinball guy. Mm-hmm. And I, you probably know. I'm sure you know. What he is. I do. Yeah. And I reached out to him, and I think maybe he was weirded out. He's like, "Why does somebody want to interview me? I'm just a pinball guy." And I'm like, "I'm his not going to ask you." His name is Pat Choi. That's it. Yeah, Pat. I, I I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to ask you blueprints about Slash's house. Like, I just want right. to. Like, I'm talking to you. So now is yeah. was it Slash who uh, or was it Pat? Like, who's the one that was the, the catalyst? Uh, so Jack Winery. Um, and Slash actually go back quite a few years. Um, Jack was one of the first people to ever sell pinball machines online. He started a company back in the 90s called PinballSales.com. And through that company, he had many, many high-profile clients. One of those clients was Slash. And so they had a good relationship. He you know, sold Slash a couple games, and when Slash came to play in New York or Jersey, you know, Jack would go and meet him and hang out with him and, you know, be able to talk pinball. Um, obviously, Slash is one of the biggest superstars in the world, and most people have a hard time, you know, treating him like one of the guys, mm. you know, because he's Slash. But when it comes to pinball, like, Slash is one of the guys. He, he, he just wants to play the game and hang out. So that's, I think, what helped him and Jack form such a great relationship. And Slash, um, in, I think, 2017, 2015, something like that, um, he's, he's told the story a couple times now. He was at the airport waiting to get on a flight, and he was standing in, like, the vestibule or the, the um, uh, United room or whatever it was. Right? He was just standing somewhere where he was quiet, and he called Jack, and he's like, Jack, we got to make a new game together. We have to make a not this lifetime tour themed game. And here's all the stuff that I want to see. And he started listing off all these different things, you know, like mm. all the concert footage and us on stage and, and the big features for me and for, for Axel and for Duff. And it's got to have all this stuff. And Jack's just like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Slash, let me uh, talk to the guys and see what we can work out. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, 
you know, they got back together and said, this is definitely something we want to do. Let me introduce you to Eric Meunier, and he is going to be the game designer. And you guys, you know, shoot it around and talk about your ideas and concepts and what you have going on. And so Slash came to that meeting, I'm not joking, with a portfolio of ideas. He had hand-drawn play fields. He had ideas for mechanisms. He had artwork concepts. He is a pinball designer, you know? Wow. So that's why I'm credited, Slash and I are credited as co-designers on this game. Okay. You know, I, I'm the one who did the math and, you know, the mechanism design and making the layout and stuff work like that. But Slash was with me every step of the way. I'm not exaggerating. Literally every day during the design concepts of this game slash and I were texting back and forth, um, you know, going through ideas, going through art concepts. And he was just all in all the time. And then I would text him like, Hey, I have a question about you know, how we should do X, Y, and Z. And he would Facebook chat me or sorry, not Facebook, he would like zoom with me. And I'm like, Oh, where are you at dude? Cause it's, and he's just like, yeah, I'm in New Zealand. It's 4am. He's like laying in his hotel room. You know, it's just like, yeah, we just finished up the show, but what do you got going? I'm like, uh, sure, let's go into this. You know, because time was just irrelevant to him when it came to talking pinball. He just wanted to be a part of it and lean to it. So. That's something else, too, and it shows the level of his intelligence. Obviously, you know, you're saying you're doing the math uh, portion of it, but for him to go to you and have these layouts, to have these designs, I don't know if you've experienced that necessarily with maybe other celebrities who've come to you for gaming, but I got to imagine in other fields, like if a celebrity is going into a specific field that they might not know about, you know, if, if it's architecture or something, they, they're drawing circles, they're drawing, uh, you know, something that may not be professional standard, but it seems like he impressed you with this professional standard. Like if you were going to work with another professional designer, yeah. Right. Like he, he, was, uh, he absolutely did everything right. I mean, he's one of the few people, even in the pinball industry, who I felt comfortable explaining an idea to and felt like he understood. It. You know, most people, when they come up to a new pinball machine that doesn't have any art on it, right? Okay, it's called it's called a white wood. It's just a piece of plywood that has some lights and some ramps. And I would explain to him, like, here's the concept of what this is supposed to do, what that's supposed to do. You know, this shot goes around. And he's one of the few people I've ever met who's just, Eric, I understand what you're doing. And I can see it. And I understand the vision. And then he provide feedback. Like, what if we did, you know, this? And we had the, you know, collecting the band member on this shot because it's a drumstick ramp, you know, and that's where we should collect Frank. And he would just come at us with, with ideas that built off of what I did. And it was just a great, great relationship. Mm. Just uh, a fast, I'm always continuously impressed with, with Slash. Just like he's just not that, he's more than just a guitar player with the top hat. He's always doing something, Absolutely. Absolutely. something else. I did so, not expect him to be um, the way he was, right? I mean, a superstar of his status, you just expect a certain personality. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Slash was the most down-to-earth, cool, understanding guy um, when he came into the office. He's been here a couple times now um, before COVID. Like, I say that he introduced himself, but a 
obviously he doesn't need to introduce himself. Right. But he shook hands with every single member of the team and like had a conversation one-on-one with every team member. Like, okay, what do you do? I'm a mechanical engineer. Okay, what does that actually mean? You know, how, how are you involved in the game? And, oh, you're a programmer. What part of the programming are you doing? And you're the artist. Oh, I love that. I love what you did with, with my likeness here. And that's what it's like. Just talked down to earth completely, had dinner with us all, and was just telling us stories about him with Miles Kennedy and, you know, hanging out with um, GNR, getting back on the road and that sort of stuff. He was cool, down to earth, no level of arrogance, no level of superiority. You know, he was just one of the guys, and it was fantastic. What were the ideas that he approached you with that you were like, uh, I hope this could work? You know, like, <laughs> Like, if you can break down, like, what makes this, uh, other than the obvious, yeah, it's a Guns N' Roses, it's their second pinball machine, but they, mm-hmm. when the first one came out, what was it, 93? 94, I think, is when it came out. And so what makes this so different and above and beyond? Because, again, it's, it, the, what he really got me, like, it's an experience. It's not just you're playing a game. It's that you're at a show, you're listening to music. So if anything, some people can just have it on the background and, and enjoy mm-hmm. people all around. And then was every member involved? Yes. Every member of the game of the band was involved. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, tell, I guess start from, I guess we have to start from, I guess the big picture of what he wanted and then uh, work mm-hmm. our way down. If you could. So he wanted to recreate the concert experience. He wanted to recreate the not in his lifetime tour and everything that goes into it. Um, so that meant just, there's just so many aspects of it, but getting their stage, right? A stage with a big video screen behind it and their hexagonal light panels that are above their stage and the moving spotlights, gobos that, you know, light up the crowd, um, getting the different aspects of what makes a concert fun. Um, uh, things that we integrate into the game, like we call them boosters. They're these little, they're these two ball, multi ball modes that there's one based around lights, there's one based around pyrotechnics, there's one based around the crowd, and there's one based around amplifiers. So getting all those things uh, makes the show more entertaining, makes it more interesting to watch a show that has a great pyro and great lights and the crowds into it and more noise. Um, He really wanted to recreate the set list uh, from the Not This Lifetime tour. So we have 21 full-length songs um, that Slash picked out. Um, I think he originally picked out like 28, but we had to cut it down a bit because we have a we had a budget that we had to stick to um, <laughs> on royalties and licensing of music and all that stuff. You know all the, oh. the minutiae that goes into actually creating it. Um, so we picked 21 songs, and with him on board, I mean, so many of the songs were easier to get than they would have been if he wasn't involved. Mm. Right. One of the most fun stories is um, "Live and Let Die." Okay. Which is originally a McCartney song. Right. Um, and we were just having a hell of a time trying to license it. Could not get anywhere with Sony, who owns the rights. We couldn't get anywhere with um, the James Bond people because it was originally written for a Bond movie. Um, and we could get nowhere with McCartney's um, McCartney. And we got on the horn of Slash and we're like, yeah, man, we're, we're not going to be able to put them a die in the game. It's just not going to happen. We're not getting anywhere. And no joke, he's just like, Eric, let me call Paul. We'll work it out. <laughs> and I'm just like, Paul, sir, Paul McCarthy? He's like, yeah, dude, we'll work it out. No worries. And he came back, I don't know, like the next day. He's like, Eric, you got the song. I'm like, 
Well, damn, dude, all right. Why so, did you do that in the first place? But well, still. he wasn't involved in the minutia of the negotiation, know. you know. Um, you got to do it the right way, you know. Yeah. I, I understand that, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just a wild experience. Um, he wanted the three main GNR members, um, you know, the, the Axel, him, and Duff, to be have big features in the game, but he made sure that, you know, the, the current members of the band weren't left out by any means. He wanted them all involved, and they all were. Each of them um, did voice recording sessions with me. Cool. Each of them had, you know, signed on their their likenesses. You know, we did hand drawing artwork of, of all of all of them, um, their features. We had um, original like sound bites and snips from him and from Duff and from Richard Fortas. They got in the studio and they all did uh, stingers and riffs in all of the songs. So I am a music nerd. Um, I played trumpet in collegiate marching band. Um, I played saxophone my whole life. I I know music. I'm into music. Um, And I really wanted this game to sound perfect. And the way that you do that is you don't want things to clash, things be in the wrong key or at the wrong tempo. So when you're playing one of the 21 songs, when you hit a stand-up target or you hit a ramp or you hit a spinner, you know, the noises and the sound effects that get made, I didn't just want them to be beep, boop, boop, boop. You know, I didn't want them to be just generic sounds. So we got each of those guys to record sound effects for each of the songs in the right key at the right tempo. So that when you hit a ramp during Live and Let Die, it's like, right? Again, for every song. So they they put a lot of time and effort into it. Slash uh, went over the top. He recorded new original music that was just him for these modes. Um, And it was, you know, me, I'm like, hey, Slash, here's the concept. You know, it's it's a bunch of roadsters, and you guys are monsters, and you're racing through the desert. Um, that's the mode. That's what you're playing during this. And he's like, okay, well, give me a second. Uh, let me think about it. Let me think about it. And I sent him the video so we could watch it. And I looped around and he came back with just this sick riff. Like cool desert music, you know, and he just ripped it up. And then same for the other modes. There's a mode where it's almost Mortal Kombat. Um, the two bad guys from the... X-rated Appetite for Destruction album. I'm sure you know the image I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Um, the, we got those two guys fighting mon- each other. Oh wow! Okay. The monster and the and the dirty robot. Um, they're fighting each other like Mortal Kombat, and so they're going back and forth in the game. And Slash recorded new music for that, um, and then a couple other modes too in there. So. Wow, wow. I, I guess you're answering uh, part of the question where the fact that Slash recorded new music for in a variety of different ways is exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in that 94 pinball, they had a new song, I believe, that mm-hmm. added to it. Mm-hmm. Anything like that discussed? I'll get yelled at by my listeners if I, if I <laughs> ask that. Um, you could say no comment if you want. <laughs> no, I mean, it wasn't about... I have to make it clear that it wasn't... Guns and Roses that was making new music for the game. It was Slash personally making right. music because it's you know this was absolutely Slash's passion project. Um, the rest of the band was involved, but like, he was absolutely the guy led the charge on everything. So 
when the other member is recorded, and I think it's cool that the, and how tedious it is, but they obviously were all into it to record different parts for when you hit the flipper. Sorry. You know, if I'm not mm-hmm. using, if I'm, is that the, do we still call it flipper? Is that the flipper is, yeah, what, what hits the ball around. Okay. I'm just making sure I'm trying to use uh, some jargon to, to impress mm-hmm. you. Uh, <laughs> but when they were, and I like how you, you mentioned the Mortal Kombat style. But so would you have like Melissa Reese or Dizzy Reed record? Uh, how would they record their voices? Would it be like the old Mortal Kombat when that guy would come up and say "Toasty"? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so anything cool like that? <laughs> um, absolutely. So we just put out a little video on our Facebook page earlier today, November second, 2020, of Melissa. Uh, came back for another recording session digitally um, last Friday. And so basically I was directing her on how to say the different things we wanted said in the game. So we had a script that was, you know, a couple hundred short snippets. Um, and like, okay, here's how it's going to be used in the game. You know, I want you to say jackpot with like that kind of emphasis. She's like, all right, yeah, jackpot. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then there's the game in true GNR fashion, has a family-friendly setting and an explicit setting. Okay. So there are. Uh, is your is your show family-friendly or is it explicit? It's uh, it's for the explicit family. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have callouts in there, um, you know, that are pretty explicit. You know, getting Melissa Reese to yell like "super fucking jackpot," yeah. You know, it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, Beautiful. And Frank, <laughs> Frank uh, Ferrer, the drummer, he was just so, such a rich voice. And you can just yeah. feel his personality coming yep. through it um, when he was just like, Thunderchuck a motherfucker, yeah! And <laughs> like when you collect Frank and then Dizzy fucking Reed in the house, you know, it was, it was great. All the guys were just so into it. Awesome. Um, and we say that the game is narrated by Duff and by Melissa, because those are the people who spent, I mean, probably four hours a piece in studio doing voice work for me, um, for the game. That's so, hard work. That's it is. Know. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were we were just chugging through it, and recording with Duff was hilarious because I sent him the script, and there were honestly like eight hundred lines in the script. Um, and I want you to say each one of them twice, you know, so we get a little bit of inflection, which you don't want in a pinball machine. You don't want it to be stale. You know, when you hit it, you, know, you hit something, you don't want to hear it say jackpot, 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 jack, the same thing over and over again, right? Having variety in sound keeps the game feeling fresh. So sent Duff the script and he got in the studio the next day. He's like, Eric, I read the script last night, didn't print one off. So if you could just read me the line, I'll read it back to you. Oh. We'll be good to go. And I'm like, all right, man, we, we're going to do this. So it kept getting more and more funny uh, the longer we kept going because I would get to a line that was explicit or raunchy or just, you know, bonkers, right? And I would start to crack up before I would even read the line to him. Uh, that he's, He would just be like, all right, this one's going to be a good one. I can tell by how much Eric's laughing. Um, so getting him to say things. So when the game, uh, when you hit the start button, but you don't plunge the ball, Right, it's just sitting there. Um, we have him and Slash and Melissa Owen yelling at you for not paying attention. Like, hey, Grandma, get off your ass and plunge <laughs> the ball, right? Um, 
but getting Duff to record quit pounding your putt and plunge a fucking ball was <laughs> a very memorable experience. Oh, amazing. And, and, and yeah. your, your sense of humor matches like the GNR sense of humor. So I, For sure, man. Oh, I, I love it. This is, these are like little things that I think just add so much more to it. Mm-hmm. As I said at the beginning, this isn't just, oh, Guns N' Roses pinball sounds cool, but all these little right. things. Right. Uh-huh. No, I mean, I have each of their phone numbers. I've taunted each of them multiple times. Getting these, these people who have so much passion for the brand and so much passion for the band that they're a part of, it's just, it was very rewarding. You know, because I'm very passionate about what I do, and just being linked up with people who have a similar level of passion was fantastic. Absolutely. Something I've always been curious about, just with pinball machines in general, and especially this one, how do you know, well, how do you decide what goes on the screen and what goes in the actual game console itself? You know, because it's going to be really visual, just like a Guns N' Roses concert, and, and it may be hard to watch what's going on beneath you with the actual game because you want to look at the screen. So how do you make those decisions? So from a game design perspective, the things on the play field are what really impact how you want to play. Things that you need the player to be aware of are what should be focused on in the insert lights. Okay. Inserts are little blinky lights through the wood. Um, So the main core rules, things that you design really early on are what get put into the play field. Like in GNR, um, collecting the seven band members, right? So there's an insert for each of the band members. And then the booster multi-balls um, and their different aspects and how they're, how they're put together in the game. The video screen honestly shows what else we've come up with in the game. And we have to show ways of integrating all of that stuff um, that's on the play field up there as well. Um, but it really helps bring in other people too. So like when you're playing pinball, it's not super fun when people are like hovering right on your shoulders and like right against your hands, having a huge 27 inch screen like we do in our game allows us to show everyone else in the room what's going on um, in your game and show off some of the really cool extra stuff we have. One of the things that might not be obvious from brochures and from um, still pictures is that there is another screen in the game that's basically dedicated for the player, which is down in the playfield area um, in what's called the back panel. And that's the area right above the stage in the back of the game. So we tend to put rules for the current mode that you're playing um, and timers and things like that that you don't necessarily want to have to look up to see and then look back down. Um, so advanced players aren't often looking at the big screen of above. They're keeping their eyes focused on what's going on. And we have to be able to show all the rules that are super important to that player with what we have just on the play field. Okay. Play field. Now I'm never going to forget that, that term. Play field. Yep. Again, I'm trying to use the jargon. Oh, the console, you know, I'm a nerd, but not as a, uh, I'm not the smart nerd. You know, like, I think there's, it was a, definitely jargon to get used to with a, with a pinball machine. I think I'll be quoting Millhouse. I don't know if you're a big Simpsons uh, guy. Uh-huh. No, I'm not a nerd. Nerds are smart. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm a geek or something like that. Uh, how, I guess I have to ask, how involved was Axel with this? 
Axel gave us approval to do a lot of stuff with his likeness, with his audio. Um, but he even said, this is Slash's passion project. Refer to him for all the intimate details. Okay. Um, but he signed off on his likeness. He wanted a couple tweaks on like his, his roadster look. Like he wanted red paint on the car instead of blue paint or whatever it was. Um, but it was absolutely Slash's passion project. Okay. And it mostly went through Slash. Right on, right on. And, you know, I alluded to it, and I, I hate saying it, because obviously these games are, they're, they're a destination game for a reason, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, with arcade, uh, arc, arcades, uh, with, like I said, I would go to bars with video games there. Um, what do you, what's, what's out there for, I guess, the, you've started to give out, like, prize packs for sale, and I think this is recent, with some really cool mm-hmm. things who the, for the fans who want to take part in this, who, who perhaps can't, like me, can't afford a, you know, a, a game in, inside their house. I mean, how many people yeah. can? So, like, what's what's available? And also, wh- what would have been, I guess, the plan? Because uh, was this this was in the works before COVID? Like, would these have been in a lot of di- in in different bars or the high, uh, you know, the rock and roll? Uh, would there have been one that rock? I don't want to say rock and roll hall of fame, but uh, the answer is yes. All right, all of that, all of the yeah. above. Um, so there are currently games out in bars, um, and it depends, you know, COVID cases were dropping in the summer and, and now things are going back up and sucks more and more. Um, there are still bars and arcades that have bought this game and are putting them out on location. Uh, but what you alluded to, most of the people who buy our games are for private collections, private people who are buying games and putting them in their homes. Um, so there is actually a game in New York, in Brooklyn. There's a bar called Jack Bar, um, and okay. John John is the owner. John Ehrlich is the owner of Jack Bar. Um, so if you want to go check out the game, he's I'm got going it to. There. Okay. I, um, I I should have asked you beforehand because that's something my uh, my girlfriend loves to do. We went to uh, a restaurant called the Spaghetti Incident. So. If nice. there's any- so she knows. She knows if anyone Guns N' Roses, I got to go. So Jack Bar. Okay. Yep. Yep. Was there, I guess it's just where certain, is there a plan? I'm assuming would you want one in every state or I know I have a lot of international fans as well. I mean, I mm-hmm. got to imagine if there was a destination, people would be going there, you know. For sure. Um, basically, if you're at all in touch with the pinball scene or even just your local hipster hangouts. I mean, I know of specific games in San Francisco, in LA, in New York, in Chicago. Um, there are games that are that are international already, um, but they're mostly in pinball places. Like we have a, a German distributor who has a game on his showroom floor, for example. Um, there are more international games going out um, and more domestic games going out. So we're building them at a decent clip every day and more and more games are leaving the factory. That's awesome. Despite all this, that, that really is awesome. Yeah. So cause congratulations. I mean, more than just on the product itself, the fact that you are, are defying the odds on this game that, you know, it's a, a group game in this world. You know, people are paranoid, you know, mm-hmm. are, you need a bottle of sanitizer mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on the, uh, on the console or the, the, the playing field, or the game field, play field, play, play fields. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, 
I was trying to think what else. Again, there's so much I, I, I could ask you, but mm-hmm. you've taken so much time out of your, your day, and I appreciate you kind of having it on my, in the background. My head of production was just calling me, so I want to get out there and see what's... I, I know. I saw you look down at him. I, I don't want to keep this guy too much longer. Uh, as a fan and someone who put you know these, these songs in, what's your favorite Guns N' Roses song? I, I have to ask that. Oh, man. I think I'm going to get blasted for saying this. Um I actually like um, This I Love from Chinese Democracy. Um, I like the um, Chinese Democracy feels more like hard rock to me than classic rock, like the earlier albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, put my foot in my mouth the very first time I talked to Slash um, because he said something along the lines of, Eric, you remember back in 86 or right when we dropped Appetite in 87 and such and such and this and this. And I was like, yeah, I wasn't born yet, man, so I don't know anything about it. And he's just like, oh, fuck, you made me feel so old. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. So Appetite came out before I was born. Um, and Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out when I was like three years old. Okay. So, uh, the... the Closer to hard rock Chinese democracy album, um, I connected with a lot more. You're going to win over a lot of my listeners because there's that, that's what I love. It's more than just GNR being my favorite band. The fact that it, can, it affects so many different generations. I was mm-hmm. only four when Appetite came out. So I'm also on the younger side yeah. that I, I would have insulted Slash uh, somehow. Too. <laughs> So that's uh, you're gonna again. You're gonna win over if you haven't already with your intelligence and this uh, you know this this game you put out, which is amazing. And uh, I, I hope it. I'm glad to see it going on the upswing because I can imagine. Yeah. Like, okay, let me ask this: Where could fans, like, how if they want it in their area and they don't have you know the means like I do, mm-hmm. they, if they were to go to their local bar and say, "How do we get this in here?" Is there a place like where people can make requests? I think that there's like a concert uh, website like that, like where you can, mm. hey, do you want to see us in your area? Is there a way to like solicit um, to have so you guys to the, come to their area? If you go to uh, your local bar that has pinball machines, like if you just walk into a mom and pop shop that doesn't have any games, you're probably not going to have a good sure. Um But if you walk into a place that has some games already, generally somewhere on the game, if it's not owned directly by the bar, there will be a business card or there will be a sticker that says, you know, this is provided by uh, Game Works Inc. You know, that's the person who's buying the actual game and then putting it in the bar. Generally, they do like a revenue split sort of thing. Okay. It's 50-50. Um, so that should have contact numbers um, for your local operators who are actually the ones buying the games. Cool. Cool. That's good information. And let me get you out on uh, on this, and this will also excite listeners. You are nice enough to possibly do giveaways. We're not going to do it on this podcast because I want everyone to see it at the same time, and I'll put it on social media when it's appropriate. Sure, sure. Because uh, let me just first say that you've started to announce merch. You can follow a Jersey Jack Pinball on Instagram. And the, the first thing you guys did, you did a prize pack, and Karen uh, Casablanca, she made her own – <laughs> pinball machine out of printouts of lithographs and cardboard and she won I, I could see that she just won a prize pack from you guys. Yes. Yep. Uh, tell us about the prize pack. Tell us about the merch coming soon and what AFD show listeners will get and we'll figure that out later. 
Yeah, so she won a signed mini play field. Um, there is, here I go grab one quick, it's slightly off camera. Sure. And I'm, I'm excited for this. I didn't know about this company before the, the podcast. Look at that. So this is a mini play field. How cool is that? Complete with slashes. I don't know if you can hear me or not. Um, I can. Complete They're with showing slashes. The, the, the Gibson, Gibson neck and it's showing part of the play field, the part of the, like, well, what's inside the actual uh, pinball machine. And, and you can see through it, and, but it's, it's glass and it's, right. it's beautiful. Right. So this is the... All um, different colors. This is the stage mini play field. Um, so Karen received one of these that was signed by everyone on the design team. Oh, so it's wood wow. with a glass top? It's wood with um, these. These are holes. This is what the ball actually goes through, and what the paper right. goes through, and wires and cables and all those that cu- stuff. Those cutouts, um, right? Yep. And then what you see here, these are called the inserts. This is where the lights actually flash through, okay. um, indicating you know shoot here and shoot here, etc. So it's an actual plate you just you take out of the play field. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Um, so cool. And she got, I think, maybe a T-shirt and some other poster. Um, we got a bunch of signed posters from Slash of him with the games. I don't know if one of those is included or not, but they're potential prizes. And then we also have what's called a translate, which is what the back of the game looks like um, with our display and what happens like during a game um, is what's shown on the display. So, yeah, it's it's a printout of. I'm trying to. Be, I'm be in awe at the same time, like realizing some people listening to this just on a podcast. So trying to, I don't even know how you, you describe that of what you would see in the background, but it's a printout. Yeah. yeah it's like if I was going to do a screenshot of. Yeah. So you're going to take a picture of someone playing the game. This is what might be sh- what the back of the game would look like. And it has all the band members around it. And it's uh, just another beautiful. Uh, wow. I, when you said prize pack. I'm like, Oh, we some maybe some balloons, you know, a t-shirt. Now this is, this is a prize, motherfucker! Packed. <laughs> We've got lots of cool stuff. So, so we're gonna, I guess, off air. We'll discuss what giveaways we'll do through the mm-hmm. podcast, or is there anything, uh, anything specific, mm-hmm. or or can we leave them with a teaser? I guess if you're listening to this episode, um, mm-hmm. or or save it. We we could have discussed this. This is what usually our promotions department is for, but I'm a one man band. Uh huh. So we'll have giveaway. We'll put it like this. Yeah. We'll have giveaways. And just follow uh, Appetite for Distortion uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, and uh, we'll figure out a way how to give away some of this cool stuff. Eric, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, this was this wasn't even like an interview. This was more of just like me geeking out with you and figuring out, just being in awe and like thinking like I've done a lot with my life, but man, you've you've had a, you've had a cool one, and I Pinball hope it gets- is super fun, man. A super fun thing it's my passion you know i live and breathe it i've got 10 games in my house um i've met so many awesome people through doing what i do and it's just one of those things that it's fun it's just fun to be in and fun to do and people you know most people will ask oh they still make those when i tell them that i'm a pinball designer um but then once they get into it and they see like they're a lot different than they used to be um, a lot more. A lot I more I got one of those, and it's like there's clearly a, a demand for it, and that's why I went the. I had to really specify that there's a, there's still des- destination 
like places and go to bars and you know restaurants and all these hip places. They're they're there on top of the collectors. So there, of course, there still is, and our arcades are still out there. You know, as much as any anything could be out there in uh, the world of COVID. Right. So uh, last question again, uh, I guess I'll ask is other than Slash, have you met anyone that we might be surprised? Like who's on like a you know a, a big name that's really got into pinball? Who might who goes to these conventions? Have you met any other? Rock stars um, or celebrities through your yeah work? yeah um, I was playing our hobby pinball machine at, at one of these trade shows one of these pinball shows and I was in a wizard mode which is what you what you get into when you basically kick the game's ass and you get into the end of it right huh. so I've got five balls going on the playfield at the same time and trapping up and shooting jackpots and Ed Robertson from the Bare Naked Ladies okay the lead singer from the Bare Naked Ladies jumps on my back. And like, like, hey, Eric, is this distracting at all to you as you're playing a wizard mode? Because we we hung out a bunch of times. You know, he's a really cool guy. He's really into pinball. Um, and he was just like, you know, yanking my chain. So it was, <laughs> it was fun. I was playing pinball with Ed Robertson on my back during a wizard mode. Um, There's just a bunch of people who are really into pinball. There's um, Todd McCulloch is a former NBA forward. Um, so hanging out with him is always fun because he's literally two feet taller than me. <laughs> um, and so like when we're hanging out, you know, yeah, Todd, that's cool. Can you sit down and we can almost be at eye level, please? So we can, we can talk. And yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun thing. It really equalizes a lot of people and, you know, they got fun things to talk about. So. Awesome. Eric, thank you again for your time and all your insight into this. Uh, what's the name of that, uh, that bar again in Brooklyn? I mean, I could ask you this later, but Jack bar, Jack bar, I'm going there and I'm going to report on it. That's what I'm going to do. Right. Uh, with my Guns N' Roses mask, which I'll hold up. There you go. It's appetite nice. for vaccination. There you go. <laughs> Amazon, they're not sponsors. I don't know why I'm advertising it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Eric, thank you so much, and I hope we get to do this again. Thank you, man. Yeah, me too. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. Remember, follow on social media to find out how we're going to do this Jersey Jack pinball uh, giveaway that we're so gracious to be able to do through the podcast, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. And when will you see the next episodes, though? Who are we going to talk to? Well, in the words of uh, Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, Eric's uh, his favorite album, you'll see it, I don't know, as soon as the word. security, I'm going home.